Hey, man. How's it going, y'all? Now, that's the thing about being a radio show, is even if I don't have a show put together for you, I still got to do one anyway. So here I am. Well, it's a weekday, and it's 11 o'clock Texas time, so it's on me. I must complain about stuff, mostly foreign policy. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, I got a ton to cover on the show today. Don't you worry. Uh, I don't have any interviews because, uh, well, I did a really lame, terrible, short fallen job of putting some interviews together today. But that's all right because I got plenty of bad news to cover. Hear that? That's me taking notes to myself about things I want to remember to say. Uh, the two biggest stories are uh, brand new Seymour Hersh about America's role in the serious civil war. Um, and then uh, as well as the, the shocking breaking news. It's just an incident. It's not a uh, it's not Hersh. It's just what happened. Six U.S. troops killed in Afghan suicide bombing guy on a motorcycle. Apparently, they're saying, ran up to him, detonated a bomb. It was that Bagram. And I know what you're saying. Why is Scott Horton playing a rerun from 2014? Because uh, I remember distinctly being promised by the president that all the troops would be home by Christmas <laughs> in 2014 and that would be the end of the war an operation enduring occupation would be renamed some other crap and the war would be over remember that well anyway they can't leave because if they leave, they lose. The only thing preventing a Taliban takeover of at least much more of the country is uh, the presence of American drones and jet fighters and soldiers. That's it. The Afghan army, the Afghan police forces are a joke. The Taliban is as strong as ever. The Americans lost the Afghan war. Year after year, they've done nothing but lose it for 14 years. 14 years. You know what, though? I bet another 14. And everything over there will be ship-shaped. Right as rain and whatever other cliches you like. And then we'll be able to declare victory and go, right? Is that it? These six Americans over there, I assume were 19-year-old young kids who don't know nothing about it, who've been taught their whole life that it's not your role to try to learn and figure out what's going on here. That's for people older than you to figure out. Your job is to be a good soldier and go over there and kill people and maybe get killed in a suicide bombing too, yeah. Uh... Maybe that's not the case, but that's what I assume. 
somebody who, uh, you know, six months ago was the high school quarterback or running back. Well, geez, coach and my dad and my local Protestant minister all agree that the first thing I should do before living my life is go and take lives for Barack Obama. For Barack Obama. And that's the consensus. All of my friends' dads are all real proud of me, too. They're all certain it's the right thing to do. So look out, Afghans, here I come. I was once a kid. I could see how uh, people, young men, would be under the impression that they're doing the right thing. The harder part is figuring out the mindset of the dads and the coaches and the ministers continue to send their sons off to this thing. Anyway, what good uh, were they prevented from accomplishing with this attack? Going to build a school out in the middle of nowhere for nobody? Defense Secretary warns of another, quote, hard year as the Islamic State now grows in Afghanistan. Perfect. Eric Margulies was saying on the show, I don't know, it looks to me like the Saudis are sent them there to mess up the Taliban. Well, how come the Saudis and the Pakistanis can't just sit down with the Taliban and work out a deal? Visiting Afghanistan today, uh, this is from the 18th. Visiting, that's last Friday, I guess. Visiting Afghanistan today, U.S. Defense Secretary Ash Carter echoed recent gloomy reports from the Pentagon on the ongoing occupation of the nation, adding that he anticipates another hard year in 2016 as the Taliban continues to seize territory and the Afghan security forces also struggle to cope with a growing ISIS presence. 2015 was a definitive uh, was a definite struggle, De- not definitive, <laughs> just definite. 2015 was a definite struggle, despite the Pentagon touting the ability of the Afghan military to act to, at the very least, stand its ground against the Taliban. Afghan forces have faced soaring casualties and have lost ground on many fronts, even though the Taliban is engaged in an internal leadership battle. And that's just part of the problem, as the Afghan government was just barely holding its own against the Taliban, only now to also face a, quote, operationally active ISIS affiliate, which has carved out territory of its own around Jalalabad. Though another hard year is hardly news in Afghanistan, 15 years into the occupation, it is unusual for a Pentagon chief to admit as much as historically U.S. officials have believed they were on the cusp of some decisive turnaround in the war, one that's simply never come. Yeah, the Freedman Unit. Remember that? A Freedman Unit. That was uh, coined by some liberal bloggers, I guess, about uh, Thomas Friedman in the New York Times constantly saying, oh, the next six months in the Iraq War are going to be, you know, what really decides how things go. 
The next six months, the next six months, all we need to do is just wait another six months. It really is an amazing thing, isn't it? Like if you were a space alien and you just got here, you were uh, in orbit with Kang and Kodos looking down on this thing. Wouldn't you think, well, the Americans are a real curious bunch that they just continue to let their government do this forever. That's the deal, huh? You're just going to occupy Afghanistan and kill people in Afghanistan and get killed in Afghanistan forever, huh? You know what we could do? We'll just pretend the last 15 years never happened. And we'll just pretend we're starting right now. We'll call it the long war. Yeah, I heard there's a government in Kabul needs shoring up. We'll be the USSA and they'll be the freedom fighters. Wait. Sorry, I get my words mixed up sometimes. Who's on whose side sometimes? News.antiwar.com. Read Jason Ditz all the time. You will be smart. Defense Secretary warns of another hard year as ISIS grows in Afghanistan. More and horrible news coming up right after the break. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for MPV Engineering. This isn't for all of you, but for high-end contractors specializing in industrial construction and end-users who own and operate industrial equipment, MPV offers licensed professional consulting on chemical and mechanical engineering for your projects. Tanks, pressure vessels, piping, heat exchangers, HVAC equipment, chemical reactors for oil companies or manufacturing facilities, as well as project management support and troubleshooting for those implementing designs. MPV will get your industrial project up and running. Head over to mpvengineering.com. Hey, I'll Scott here. Ever wanted to help support the show and own silver at the same time? Well, a friend of mine, libertarian activist Arlo Pignati, has invented the alternative currency with the most promise of them all. QR Silver Commodity Discs. The first ever QR code, one-ounce silver pieces. Just scan the back of one with your phone and get the instant spot price. They're perfect for saving or spending at the market. And anyone who donates $100 or more to the Scott Horton Show at scotthorton.org slash donate gets one. That's scotthorton.org slash donate. And if you'd like to learn and order more, send them a message at CommodityDiscs.com or check them out on Facebook at Slash Commodity Discs. And thanks. All right, you guys. I'm Scott Horton. Welcome back to the show. Hope everybody got a chance to see Star Wars by now. I read the book, too. Well, I'm a Star Wars kid. What can I say? Uh, eh, you know, eh. I actually saw it twice. I liked it better the second time. Or even more, I should say. Because I liked it the first time. And I guess I kind of have one small criticism of the politics part of it, but I don't really care. I thought it was great. And it certainly uh, proves that the prequels just never happen. I think we'll all go forward. That'll be the consensus now is the prequels are not canon. They never happened. story starts with four. We'll see where it goes from here. I hope the person directing episode eight knows that the rule is it can't suck, or else we'll all be pissed. It's a pretty strong incentive to do a good job on a movie, right? Just wanted to tell you both, good luck. We're all counting on you. All right. So... Seymour Hersh, he won't do my show today. Why won't Seymour Hersh do my show today? 
because he hasn't done the Amy Goodman show yet. And Amy's got dibs. You know what? She's earned that, dude. I gotta give her credit. I'm not the biggest fan of the show. Oh, I probably should be. I don't know. I never really got in the habit of watching it every morning, but I really should because there's so much of value on there. Uh, and no, Amy Goodman is not good on everything. <clears throat> Libya 2011, for example. <laughs> just because Juan Cole said so? Really? I don't, I just can't understand that for the life of me. Like, you have to turn off three quarters of the brain, of your brain and everything else in the world you already know to put it all aside to support that disaster. Holy crap. But anyway, she really is great, and obviously when it comes to her, she's uh, she's earned her first dibs. But he said he feels terrible today. He hadn't done her show. He's not even sure if he'll do it tomorrow. And then by then, we're creeping up on uh, you know Christmas here, so I don't know if I'll even get him on until next week, or maybe not even the new year. But then again, maybe I'll record one with him off hours. I have a... Um, I uh, I guess I have a show this Sunday on KPFK. They were doing fundraising there for a couple weeks, but I think I'm back on this coming Sunday. So maybe I'll record one off hours with Hirsch at some point about that. I mean, for that. Anyway. Actually, you know what? Probably not. I think I'm going to skip that because, uh, honestly, I got a lot of work to do on this book project, and I've been mm, burnt out. And putting it off, but uh, I can't put it off anymore. I've got an obligation. I got to get the uh, the book proposal. Basically, I've got to get hammered out. So I have to take off. You know, that's what I'm gonna do with my Christmas Eve and my uh, Boxing Day, and as much of the time as I can between uh, now and New Year's, I'm gonna spend on that. Got to get back to that. You know what happened was I wrote one of the parts of it and then I really didn't like it and then I went, bah! And I just, I hate to just throw what I wrote all in the trash, but it doesn't belong where I put it anyway. I guess though, now that it's been a couple of weeks, I'll just move that aside to a miscellaneous file somewhere, keep it for pasting in somewhere else later, and just start over. Should be good. Anyway. So there you go. Here's the here's the other bad news about Hirsch. Not only will he not be on today, but for some reason, my computer turned off in the middle of the night. And that means that all my highlights on the Hirsch article have been erased. Yeah, I got this thing, the highlighter. You got one of those? Text highlighter for your Mozilla? And anyway, so problem being is they're all gone. They're all gone. And the damn thing is 7,000 words or something. And all my highlights are gone. So instead of doing a good job giving you the rundown on this, I'm going to do a terrible job. So it starts out with what everybody knows about uh, Obama and the CIA been running guns to the jihadists and the jihadists' friends in Syria. And it reminds us about the DIA report that we've all read, although apparently Hirsch has uh, a much less classified version. 
than the one we've seen with all the redactions and so forth. Um, the, the famous DIA report about America's allies supporting the rise of the Islamic State. And, um, and how America's in on it too. And so then the point is, DIA apparently was kept doing this. Warning and warning and warning about the danger of the jihadists, how they dominate the opposition in Syria. And apparently, as we all know, or could have guessed, the White House just absolutely didn't want to hear it. The DIA's reporting, Hirsch's source says, no, Flynn on the record says, got enormous pushback from the Obama administration. I felt that they did not want to hear the truth. Our policy of arming the opposition to Assad was unsuccessful and actually having a negative impact. Here's the important part of the article. Well, there's a lot of them, but this is the first major one, okay? The chiefs believe that Assad should not be replaced by fundamentalists. That's the joint chiefs of the military. The administration policy was contradictory. They wanted Assad to go, but the opposition was dominated by extremists. So who was going to replace him? To say Assad's got to go is fine, but if you follow that through, therefore anyone is better. It's the anyone else is better issue that had the joint chiefs, uh, that the joint chiefs had with Obama's policy. And chiefs felt that a direct challenge to Obama's policy would have had zero chance of success. So, in the autumn of 2013, they decided to take steps against the extremists without going through political channels. By providing U.S. intelligence to the militaries of other nations on the understanding that it would be passed on to the Syrian army and used against the common enemy, Jabhat al-Nusra and the Islamic State. Germany, Israel, and Russia were in contact with the Syrian army and able to exercise some influence over Assad's decisions. It was through them that U.S. intelligence would be shared. Each had its reasons for cooperating with Assad. Germany feared what might happen among its own population of 6 million Muslims if Islamic State expanded. Israel was concerned with border security. Russia had an alliance of very long standing with Syria and was worried by the threat to its only naval base on the Mediterranean. That music's already playing. Okay, more from this article when we get back. I'm going to get back to work on my highlights. The Israeli role is very convoluted and interesting. You'll like it. Lots of important stuff in here. Brand new Seymour Hersh at the London Review of Books. Hey, Al Scott Horton here. It's always safe to say that one should keep at least some of your savings in precious metals as a hedge against inflation. And if this economy ever does heat back up and the banks start expanding credit, rising prices could make metals a very profitable bet. Since 1977, Roberts & Roberts Brokerage, Inc. has been helping people buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. And they do it well. They're fast, reliable, and trusted for more than 35 years. And they take Bitcoin. Call Robertson Roberts at 1-800-874-9760 or stop by rrbi.co. Hey, Al Scott Horton here for Liberty.me, the great libertarian social network. They've got all the social media bells and whistles. Plus, you get your own publishing site, and there are classes, shows, books, and resources of all kinds. 
and I host two shows on Liberty.me. Eye on the Empire with Liberty.me's Chief Liberty Officer Jeffrey Tucker every other Tuesday, and The Future of Freedom with FFF founder and president Jacob Hornberger every Thursday night, both at 8 Eastern. When you sign up, add me as a friend on there, scotthorton.liberty.me. Be free. Liberty.me. All right, guys, welcome back. So, New Hirsch, London Review of Books, Military to Military, U.S. Intelligence Sharing and the Syrian War. So, 2013, DIA is warning and warning and warning. Hey, Obama, you're back in Al-Qaeda in Syria, jerk. You and the CIA. Obama's message to the military, shut up in your mouth, I don't want to hear it. Everybody knows that, but what we're doing is we're not talking about it, so... I'm ignoring you, you stupid jerks. So the chiefs then, according to Seymour Hirsch, decided, well, they're just going to give all the intel they have on al-Qaeda and then what became the Islamic State um, as it broke off from the al-Nusra Front uh, to Assad by way of Germany, Israel, and Russia. And so, uh, yeah, here's the thing. We weren't intent on deviating from Obama's stated policies. But sharing our assessments via the military-to-military relationships with other countries could prove productive. It was clear that Assad needed better tactical intelligence and operational advice. The Joint Chiefs concluded that if those needs were met, the overall fight against Islamic terrorism would be enhanced. Obama didn't know, but Obama doesn't know what the JCS does, as the Joint Chiefs of Staff, does in every circumstance. And that's true of all presidents. So, where, according to this, anyway, where Obama committed America to a policy of high treason, the military was insubordinate and went around him and was uh, was giving the Syrian government that Obama was trying to overthrow intelligence about their targets through the Germans. And now here's the thing about this. Patrick Coburn reported that the U.S. was sharing intelligence with Assad through the Germans in the summer of 2014, uh, shortly after the fall of Mosul, I think it was August 2014, and I talked to him about it then, but I'm trying to remember now what he said about whether it had been ongoing or whether that was brand new after the fall of Mosul. I think maybe Patrick had a piece of the story, but not this part of it. Um, and anyway... So then uh, Hirsch goes on to say, yeah, you know, America uh, does not get along uh, with the Syrian regime and says, uh, he, he quotes the WikiLeaks, thank you, uh, Chelsea Manning, doing 35 years in the brig for America's government's sins. Um, about, yeah, let's undermine and overthrow. He didn't go all the way back to the clean break and everything, but he talks about hawkish anti-Syria policy. But then Hirsch says, there's also a parallel history of shadowy cooperation between Syria and the U.S. during the same period. The two did collaborate together against al-Qaeda, their common enemy. A longtime consultant to America's intelligence community said that after 9-11, quote, 
Bashar was for years extremely helpful to us while, in my view, we were churlish in return and clumsy in our use of the gold he gave us. That quiet cooperation continued among some elements even after the Bush administration's decision to vilify him. In 2002, Assad authorized Syrian intelligence to turn over hundreds of internal files on the activities of the Muslim Brotherhood in Syria and Germany. Yeah, and then Bush turned around four years later and said, "Perfect, these are the guys we want to. We're going to use these same files to back them." Well, I'm making up that part, but I'm just saying that's who they started backing was the Muslim Brotherhood in 2006, probably with those same files, right? Later that year, Syrian intelligence foiled an attack by Al Qaeda on the headquarters of the U.S. Navy's Fifth Fleet in Bahrain. First time I ever heard of that one. And Assad agreed to provide the CIA with the name of a vital Al Qaeda informant, who the CIA then burned. Assad also secretly turned over relatives of Saddam Hussein, who had sought refuge in Syria. And of course, like America's allies in Jordan, Egypt, Thailand, and elsewhere. Tortured suspects, uh, suspected terrorists for the CIA in a Damascus prison. Of course, including Mara Rar, who was just a case of mistaken identity, Canadian. You know, I always mix up Mara Rar and the other guy. They're two different cases of mistaken identity, tortured by Syria. Sorry, guys, for getting your names wrong, but anyway, they're both horrible cases. Anyway, so then Hirsch says it's this history of cooperation that made it possible, made it seem possible in 2013 that Damascus would agree to the new indirect intelligence sharing agreement with the U.S. Hirsch writes the Joint Chiefs let it be known that in return the U.S. would require four things: Assad must restrain Hezbollah from attacking Israel. He must renew the stalled negotiations with Israel to reach a settlement on the Golan Heights. He must agree to accept Russian, huh, and other outside military advisors, and he must commit to holding open elections after the war with a wide range of factions included. It was one of the chief's conditions that Assad bring in the Russians. I mean, I don't. I'm not sure if that directly correlates to the real intervention by the Russians in the last few months here. But that's really something. And then part of the the military's conditions was you got to negotiate the Golan Heights with the Israelis. Quote, we had positive feedback from the Israelis who were willing to entertain the idea, but they needed to know what the reaction would be from Iran and Syria. The advisor to the chiefs told Hirsch, the Syrians told us that Assad would not make a decision unilaterally. He needed to have support from his military and Alawite allies. Assad's worry was that Israel would say yes and then not uphold its end of the bargain. Really, what history do they have of that? <coughs> Sorry. A senior advisor to the Kremlin on Middle Eastern affairs told me Hirsch in late 2012, after suffering a series of battlefield setbacks and military defections, Assad had approached Israel via a contact in Moscow and offered to reopen the talks on the Golan Heights. The Israelis had rejected the offer. 
They said, Assad is finished, the Russian official told Hirsch. He's close to the end. He said the Turks had told Moscow the same thing. By mid-2013, however, the Syrians believed the worst was behind them and wanted assurances that the Americans and others were serious about their offers of help. And then it says the Joint Chiefs were trying to uh, establish some mutual uh, trust here, and Assad said, bring me the head of Prince Bandar. And they said, yeah, right. But then again, he did resign. They say for health reasons, or you know, was kicked upstairs or something shortly after that, right? I don't know if that was an American military call or not. I guess Hirsch isn't saying it is here. Um, and then I like this. According to U.S. intelligence, the Saudis gave $700 million to the Syrian opposition just last year. Um, Um, and then, uh, but here's what they did decide to do. And this is one of the real reasons I wanted to have Hirsch on the show is to follow up on this. Because I could have sworn in the red line and the rat line, the story was, and this would make sense, if anything makes sense in America's Libya war, that after Ambassador Stevens was killed on September 11, 2012, that at least then they stopped helping the jihadists ship guns off to Syria, right? But no, according to Hirsch in his new piece here at the London Review of Books, the Joint Chiefs finally cut off the guns from Libya as a show of good faith to Assad and instead started shipping the rebels' only leftover Korean War era crap from the Turks. More after this. Hey, Al Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new ebook by longtime future freedom author Scott McPherson Freedom and Security the Second Amendment, and the right to keep and bear arms. This is the definitive principled case in favor of gun rights and against gun control. America is exceptional. Here the people come first, and we refuse to allow the state a monopoly on firearms. Our liberty depends on it. Get Scott McPherson's Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment, and the right to keep and bear arms on Kindle at Amazon.com today. Don't you get sick of the Israel lobby trying to get us into more wars in the Middle East? Or always abusing Palestinians with your tax dollars? It once seemed like the lobby would always have full-spectrum dominance on the foreign policy discussion in D.C. But those days are over. The Council for the National Interest is the America Lobby, standing up and pushing back against the Israel Lobby's undue influence on Capitol Hill. Go show some support at CouncilForTheNationalInterest.org. That's CouncilForTheNationalInterest.org. Me. All right. Welcome back. I'm hungry. I have some lunch. It is lunchtime. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. Um, man, I'm gonna have to go and see uh, Star Wars Seven on the IMAX 3D now. The wife's visual cortex it can't keep up with that kind of thing, so I'm gonna have to leave her behind for this one and go. Uh, anyway, I'm looking at the Seymour Hersh piece, military to military, U.S. intelligence sharing in the Syrian war. So what they say is they finally, where we left off here, picking up, they finally shut off 
the rat line, at least uh, the shipments of guns from Libya to Syria in 2013, the military did as a show of good faith to Assad as they were laundering intelligence through the Germans and the Russians and even the Israelis to the Syrian army. I'm not so sure about the Israeli role in this thing. Uh, we know they've been providing aid and comfort to Syrian al-Qaeda for well over a year now at least, maybe a lot longer than that, I don't know. Um, but anyway, you know, it's just like they say, let both sides hemorrhage to death. That was on the front page of the New York Times. Israeli military policy advisor. The strategic thinking here is let them hemorrhage to death. And by that, he literally means the women and children and elderly of Syria. Hyperbolically, he means the terrorists on one side and the Assad fascist tyranny on the other. But what he really means, of course, are the hundreds of thousands of civilians caught in the middle. So what do the Israelis care about them? Less than nothing. As long as they're bogged down in this fight, then, you know what, I should go ahead and take five seconds to click over to my Twitter and get the damn quote right, right? So I've got the quote here. I went and found it last night when I was talking with Brad Hoff about this stuff. Um, yeah, let's see here, man. Well, I tweet a lot. I got a page down a little bit here to get to it. <laughs> man, this mouse is kind of messed up. I'm going to blame it long time taking on that, too. Jeez, man. Okay, I'm almost there now. Getting to last night. Yeah, I know. It's the best radio you ever heard, right? The hell? Um, yeah, here we go. Oh, God, that took long enough. Hey, at least I did finally get it. The headline is Israel backs limited strike against Syria. That is, no other interest group in America wanted the Syria war of 2013, just the Israelis. Thank you for making that perfectly clear. Written by Jody Ruderin. For the New York Times on September the 5th, 2013. This is a playoff situation in which you need both teams to lose. But at least you don't want one to win. We'll settle for a tie, said Alan Pincus, a former Israeli consul general in New York. Let them both bleed, hemorrhage to death. That's the strategic thinking here. As long as this lingers, there's no real threat from Syria. End quote. Okay, thank you. Um, you know how you find that real easy? You just type in New York Times or NY Times for their site, right? NY Times, Israel, Syria, hemorrhage, or hemorrhage to death. 
That's uh, Israel's policy concerning the men, women, and children of Syria. Let them hemorrhage to death. And that's why it's America's policy, too. Like Hirsch says, they do what the U.S. says when the U.S. says it. They're still our enemy anyway, for some reason. And, yeah, it's true, as uh, Stephen Zunas pointed out, the Lakuniks in America can be far to the right of the Israeli government, at least, you know, back in the Olmert days. Not with not with Netanyahu and friends in power, it doesn't seem like. But anyway. So, let's see. Um, back to Seymour Hirsch here. Oh, my highlights are gone. My highlights are gone, so I gotta, I gotta skim down looking for the good stuff. Oh yeah, I like this one. This was important. Um, uh, John Brennan supposedly brought the Saudis and the Qataris intelligence chiefs from throughout the Middle East to a secret meeting in Washington, with the aim of persuading Saudi Arabia to stop supporting the extremists in Syria. I don't know about all this. I'm just telling you what Hirsch wrote here. And I guess, yeah, it makes sense in context, kind of. The Saudis told us they were happy to listen, the Joint Chiefs advisor said. So everyone sat around in Washington, and you hear Brennan, that's uh, Obama's former counterterrorism advisor, now uh, director of the Central Intelligence Agency. Brennan told them that they had to get on board with the so-called moderates. His message was that if everyone in the region stopped supporting al-Nusra and the Islamic State their ammunition and weapons would dry up, and the moderates would win out. Brennan's message was ignored by the Saudis, the advisors said, who went back home and increased their efforts with the extremists and asked us for more technical support. And we say, okay. And so it turns out that we end up reinforcing the extremists. And then he gets into, but that's not the only problem, that uh, Erdogan... The president of Turkey has been in bed with al-Nusra and the Islamic State for years. You know, Giraldi said he's written about this, too, and he said on the show, uh, I think before he wrote about it, that he saw people fundraising for uh, the Islamic State all over the place in Istanbul when he was there in, I think it was July 2013. Maybe it was 14. I just read it because he wrote about this at uns.com a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that was where I got the July from, but now I forget which year. But anyway, and he's mentioned that on the show a few times. You guys might have heard him. Uh, Phil Geraldi talking about guys fundraising for ISIS in the streets of Turkey's major cities. Uh, obviously, nobody's stopping them. Obviously, they do have the intelligence uh, and internal security forces to deal with such matters if they had a problem with it. They clearly did not. Anyway, um, and then so, you know what they talk? They say the same thing that I've been saying. I don't think I got this idea from anybody else. Just seems to me. You can argue the whole balance of the Middle East is based on a form of mutually assured destruction between Israel and the rest of the Middle East, and Turkey can disrupt the balance, which is Erdogan's dream. We told him we wanted him to shut down the pipeline of foreign jihadists flowing into Turkey. But he is dreaming big 
of restoring the Ottoman Empire. And he did not realize the extent to which he could be successful in this. Um, yeah, well, I mean, if you were him, isn't that what you would do? Uh, especially, you know, in a, in that South Park sense, uh, the way he's using the Arabs as his darky shield to do all the fighting and dying. To begin carving out his old imperial territory, his country's old, his country's old imperial territory. Hmm. It seems like if you were the would-be sultan of Turkestan, <laughs> this might be part of your object. I don't know. And it seems like what he's been doing. Can't really argue with that. And just look at the fake uh, sarin gas attack of 2013. All right. Anyway, um, I guess this is going to end up taking almost the whole damn show, but I'm going through Seymour Hersh's new one at the London Review of Books. This is good for me. So I'll be better prepared to interview him having read the thing twice. Talked about it with you guys when I do get a chance to, hopefully later this week. Stick around. It's the Scott Horton Show. Libertarian foreign policy mostly. Hey, y'all, guess what? You can now order transcripts of any interview I've done for the incredibly reasonable price of two and a half bucks each. Listen, finding a good transcriptionist is near impossible, but I've got one now. Just go to scotthorton.org slash transcripts, enter the name and date of the interview you want written up, click the PayPal button, and I'll have it in your email in 72 hours max. You don't need a PayPal account to do this. Man, I'm really going to have to learn how to talk more good. That's scotthorton.org slash transcripts. This part of the Scott Horton Show is sponsored by audible.com. And right now, if you go to audibletrial.com slash Show, you can get your first audiobook for free. Of course, I'm recommending Michael Swanson's book, The War State. The Cold War Origins of the Military-Industrial Complex and the Power Elite. Maybe you've already bought the War State in paperback, but you just can't find the time to read it. Well, now you can listen while you're out marching around. Get the free audio book of the War State by Michael Swanson, produced by Listen and Think Audio, at audibletrial.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, y'all, welcome back to the show. Yeah, I should have read ahead and highlighted a bunch of stuff, but I didn't. Anyway, uh, carrying on here with Hirsch's piece, just so you know, I think it's important stuff. So he talks about Russian intervention in Syria. He says, uh, Russian incursions into Turkish airspace began soon after Putin authorized the bombings, and the Russian Air Force deployed electronic jamming systems that interfered with Turkish radar. Hang on. Be glad you didn't have to hear that. The message being sent to the Turkish Air Force, the Joint Chiefs advisor said, was, we're going to fly our fighter planes where we want and when we want and jam your radar and do not F with us. And that this all happened before the the Turkish shootdown, which, you know, I'm sure that's not her spin, or I don't know, man. It sounds like uh, it's counter to his narrative, but he don't mind saying kind of thing, you know what I mean? Because basically his narrative here is showing that at least the Russian argument for their intervention in Syria makes sense, whereas America's is completely insane. And... Uh, you know, here he quotes uh, Obama with this ridiculous argument. I can't believe that they're getting away with this. Well, I guess I can with mainstream media and his ridiculous worse than him opposition on this issue. But for Obama to say to the American people, 
Oh, hey, guess what, everybody? We're all really upset this week because Russia said they were only going to bomb ISIL targets, but instead they're bombing um, more and more varied targets than just ISIS ones. Mm -hmm. Al-Qaeda. He's talking about Al-Qaeda. Americans, your leader says we're supposed to be upset that the Russians are bombing Al-Qaeda in Syria. This is what they're talking about, the Republican debate. This is what they want to shoot down Russian jets for bombing Al-Qaeda. For bombing the Army of Conquest, which is half Al-Qaeda, half Arar al-Sham, which is eh, nothing but Al-Qaeda. As Andrew Coburn said, Arar al-Sham is, they claim um, Abdul Azam, the guy who Obama, uh, Osama took over for, maybe killed, somebody killed him, maybe Zawahiri killed him, and they took over his group. So he was OG al-Qaeda before Osama, Azam was. And that's who Arar al-Sham claims. Al-Qaeda claims Osama and Zawahiri. The Islamic State, they just claim Osama. They don't listen to Zawahiri anymore. They say they're the true heirs of Osama bin Laden, not him. They're all a bunch of Qaeda suicide bombers who chop their prisoners' heads off and crucify them and kill them for refusing to convert. And Obama is saying, I demand you cry. You should be so mad at Russia right now. Well, I'm just spitting mad at Russia right now. Well, why is that, Tommy? Well, Obama said I'm really mad at them right now. Well, for what? For bombing Al-Qaeda. Now, if I can be a little more nuanced, I'm mad at the Russians because they're bombing people. And I think chances are they're killing more civilians than... uh you know, so-called Al-Qaeda fighters. And there's no way to really know that, but never even mind the balance. I mean, if they're killing innocent people at all, they're killing innocent people. I'm not for that. I'm not for Russian intervention here. Shouldn't sound like I am. I'm only talking about the ridiculous hypocrisy of the American side of this war. It's absolutely insane. It's far more insane than... You know, Obama was uh, a secret uh, Kenyan Muslim agent sent by the terrorists to usurp McCain's rightful throne or whatever. And that's completely retarded. But this is far crazier. <laughs> you know, if you have to come up with a conspiracy theory, never mind a bunch of crap. We got a real one right in front of our face for four and a half years now. You know, it's the same thing with 9-11. The conspiracy is... They're trying to pin it on Saddam. That's the conspiracy. You know? They're getting away with an extra war over it. Yeah, this one is right in front of our faces. Even the military is so fed up with the CIA backing the 9-11 attackers, agents in Syria, that they just are insubordinate and giving tactical intelligence to the Syrian state by way of the Germans and the Russians. Amazing. And then I love this too. At the end of 2014, uh, at the end of 2014, Jurgen Todenhofer, 
a German journalist who was allowed to spend 10 days touring ISIS-held territory in Iraq and Syria, told CNN that the ISIS leadership, quote, are all laughing about the free Syrian army. That's the mythical moderates. They don't take them for serious. This is the direct quote. They say, the best arms sellers we have are the FSA. If they get a good weapon, they sell it to us. That's me quoting a journalist quoting the Islamic State. They didn't take them serious. They take Assad serious. They take serious, of course, the bombs, but they fear nothing. And FSA doesn't play a role. And this is still American policy. Back the mythical moderates against all comers. And what's funny is the Russians have even um, got in on this a little bit recently. Although I guess you could see what they're doing. They go, yeah, no, we'll back the moderates. We call on all moderates to join forces with Assad against the Islamic State. And of course, they know the call's going out to virtually nobody. If anybody really was moderate, certainly they would prefer the secular bought the state with a promise of upcoming elections to living under the rule of Bakr al-Baghdadi. No. So where are they? Come on, mythical moderates. Waiting for you to join up the Syrian army now. At the end of, uh, yeah. Oh, and then, um, let's see here. Uh, let's see, more just uh, of the contradictions of attacking the Russians for attacking Assad here. Oh, here's a point that, it's kind of a minor point, but it's worth making. Um, it's not one that Hirsch makes, but it just came up anyway. About the Joint Chiefs, uh, no, 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 pardon me. Uh, the Secretary of Defense, Ash Carter, he predicted terrorist attacks against Russia once they started attacking Syria. And they, and again, they've been complaining, oh, boo-hoo, he's attacking al-Qaeda, not the Islamic State. Well, he's, the, the Russians have been attacking the Islamic State as well. But anyway, it was the Islamic State that blew up the plane, taking off from the uh, airport in Sinai. And... Uh, and then Obama actually gloated about it and said, see, we told you that you'll suffer. He didn't use the term blowback, but that you'll suffer these consequences from uh, what you're doing in Syria. Well, it was the Islamic State that attacked them. It sounded almost, didn't it, like, uh, or was it? I don't know. It sounded like Obama was saying, yeah, that's what you get for messing with my CIA-backed moderates, dude. You get bombed, didn't it? Kind of sound like that's what he was saying. But I think, no, it was more like he was just gloating. That look what happens, everybody, when the Russians stick their nose in where it's not welcome. They suffer terrorism. Can you imagine that? And this is not George W. Bush. This is Barack Obama. He didn't say, oh, my God, me and all Americans, we are on our knees in prayer for the souls of the innocent lives lost in this horrible terrorist attack. My God, we know what you're going through. He didn't say that. He's like, take that, Russians. Robert Perry, who wants so bad to love Obama, but is an honest man, uh, has written about this time and again at consortiumnews.com. He's just beside himself about it. Can't believe it.
Maybe I'll go scare up the exact quote for you here. Hey, I'll check out the audiobook of Lou Rockwell's Fascism versus Capitalism, narrated by me, Scott Horton, at audible.com. It's a great collection of his essays and speeches on the important tradition of liberty. From medieval history to the Ron Paul Revolution, Rockwell blasts our status enemies, profiles our greatest libertarian heroes, and prescribes the path forward in the battle against Leviathan. Fascism versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell for audiobook. Find it at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, or just click in the right margin of my website at scotthorton.org. Hey, Al Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new book by Michael Swanson, The War State. In The War State, Swanson examines how Presidents Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy both expanded and fought to limit the rise of the new national security state after World War II. If this nation is ever to live up to its creed of liberty and prosperity for everyone, we are going to have to abolish the empire. Know your enemy. Get The War State by Michael Swanson. It's available at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com in Kindle or in paperback. Just click the book in the right margin at scotthorton.org or thewarstate.com. All right, I'm back. Slowly making our way through Hirsch's article today, London Review of Books. But I just brought up this Obama quote. So, I should get it right here. The Russians now have been there for several weeks, over a month. And I think a fair-minded reporters who look at this situation would say that the situation hasn't changed significantly. In the interim... Russia has lost a commercial passenger jet. You've seen another jet shot down. There have been losses in terms of Russian personnel. And I think Mr. Putin understands that. With Afghanistan fresh in the memory. For him to simply get bogged down in an inconclusive and paralyzing civil conflict is not the outcome he's looking for. Huh? What a, the entire thing is absolutely insane. This guy, Obama, has lost his freaking mind. America's been bombing the Islamic State for a year and a half. And I think fair-minded people would say, yeah, and they've captured all of Ramadi and Palmyra at that time, still back and forth at Baiji. And, uh, in fact, they're still not chased all the way out of Sinjar either. A fair-minded person might point that out, that, look, Russia's been bombing for five whole weeks, and the war's not completely over yet, everyone. Shut up, stupid piece of crap, President. I really hate Barack Obama. What a lousy human. And then mocking them for losing a commercial passenger jet, as he put it. Yeah, full of civilians. Innocent civilians. Huh, yeah, how's your war working out for you so far there, pal? And then he invokes Afghanistan? Huh, we all remember what happened when Russia tried to occupy Afghanistan and got bogged down in a, quote, inconclusive and paralyzing civil conflict? And that that's what he's doing again in Syria? You've got to be kidding me. It's just like the time where he says, in the defense of the Israelis, hey, no people would accept missiles raining down on them. 
uh, being fired by foreign countries raining down on them from above. Meanwhile, he's shooting missiles at human beings in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, Iraq, Libya, Syria. And, of course, is supplying all the bombs that the Israelis shoot at the Gazans. The majority of whom are minors. Including cluster bombs. Including very, very dumb artillery fired into neighborhoods full of women and children. UN shelters full of cowering civilian refugees. What a disgusting person Barack Obama is. Anyway, so back to the Hearst thing here. Yeah, yeah, the... Uh, yeah, so here's the thing, man. The four core elements, Hirsch writes, of Obama's Syria policy remain intact today. An insistence that Assad must go. That no anti-ISIS coalition with Russia is possible. That Turkey is a steadfast ally in the war against terrorism. And that they're really, and you could throw in Saudi too. And that there really are significant, moderate opposition forces for the U.S. to support. Now, I'm not in favor of any uh, anti-ISIS coalition with Russia, but it'd be nice if we could at least uh, recognize who's on, who all is on whose side and ratchet down um, the fake tensions here, the ridiculously kind of, you know, forged, you know, forced tensions uh, being pushed by the American side here. And then anyway, but Hirsch goes on to write, the Paris attacks on the November, on uh, the 13th of November that killed 130 people did not change the White House's public stance. Although many European leaders, including Francois Holland, the president of France, advocated greater cooperation with Russia and agreed to coordinate more closely with its air force. There's also the talk of uh, the need to be more flexible about the timing of Assad's exit from power. Maybe after the talks instead of before them. Uh, but they've still mostly gone nowhere. Or, I mean, I don't know. They got UN Security Council endorses Syria peace plan split on Assad. France's demand, France demands Assad's ouster under any deal. And, uh, the UN has endorsed the idea, but only in language that very carefully avoided the question of Bashar al-Assad's fate, writes Jason Ditz at news.antiwar.com. The war goes on. And who represents... There's nobody representing uh, al-Nusra or the Islamic State there. So even if they had a deal, it would be a deal for everybody to join forces against them, which would probably have the effect of pushing al-Qaeda and the Islamic State together again. Wouldn't it? It's like overthrowing the Islamic State would prove that Osama and Zawahiri were right. That first, the American Empire must be bled all the way to bankruptcy... And only then can they create a caliphate. Otherwise, the Americans will come and bomb it. You know, not like anybody in charge of American policy has ever thought any of this stuff through or have any incentive to, apparently. I don't know. Um, oh, and then there's more. Then he gets into uh, the Chinese interest in this and how uh, the Turks are actively backing a rat line of Chinese Uyghurs who are uh, 
you know, I guess at least somewhat Turkic Chinese in uh, Western China and that they've been showing up fighting in Syria. And they have that whole, you know, rat line going from China all the way, or I shouldn't say rat line. You have a whole series of Turkic states from back in the old days of, you know, history and stuff where you have very close relationships. And, of course, uh, in the past, as Eric Margulies has explained, the Americans were happy to see Uyghurs training at bin Ladenite camps and Taliban camps in Afghanistan if they were uh, to be used to weaken the Chinese. Uh, but anyway, uh, here you have some Americans, at least, I guess, in the Pentagon, saying that here's an opportunity to work with China, to work with Russia, against the Islamic State and their allies. And here I'm saying, no, we shouldn't. We should abolish the U.S. government, or at the very least, we should abolish the Pentagon and the National Security State and take no part in any more of this whatsoever, other than to apologize. Um, but at least you can see the way professional military people are saying, you know what, I'm tired of screwing around overthrowing governments on behalf of the jihadists. He also talks about uh, Tulsi Gabbard, a Democrat and an Army vet who's been somewhat good on these issues, although she's really bad on Iran, too. But Hey, all Scott here for Samurai Tech Academy at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Modern appliance repair requires true technicians who can troubleshoot their high-tech electronics. If you're young and looking to make some real money, or you've been at it a while and just need to keep your skills up to date, Samurai Tech Academy teaches it all. And they'll also show you the business, how to own and run your own. Take a free sample course to see how easily you can learn appliance repair from MasterSamuraiTech.com. Use coupon code Scott Horton for 10% off any course or set of courses at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Hey, all Scott here. If you're like me, you need coffee. Lots of it. And you probably prefer it taste good, too. Well, let me tell you about Darren's Coffee Company at DarrensCoffee.com. Darren Marion is a natural entrepreneur who decided to leave his corporate job and strike out on his own, making great coffee. And Darren's Coffee is now delivering right to your door. Darren gets his beans direct from farmers around the world. All specialty, premium grade, with no filler. Hey, the man just wants everyone to have a chance to taste this great coffee. DarrensCoffee.com. Use promo code Scott and you get free shipping. DarrensCoffee.com. All right, y'all, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. So, all right, enough of that, man. Uh, that's pretty much it. Cy Hirsch, new piece, military to military. A uh, little bit of insubordination, apparently, at the Pentagon. In a good way, sort of, maybe. You know, uh, not Robert Perry, Mark Perry, completely different Perry, spelled different and everything. Mark Perry said on the show, yeah, man, you know, the generals are sick and tired of flying as Al-Qaeda's Air Force in Yemen, too. They don't want to do this. They're happy to go to war against this, that, or the other side, but for Al-Qaeda? Come on. I got an idea, Colonel. What if we bomb the Al-Qaeda guys? In favor of the other guys. Or maybe just not bomb the other guys in favor of Al-Qaeda at least? What do you think? Military intelligence just put out the new report. says, America's fighting on the side of its enemies. Well, I got an idea. Hey, maybe we could knock that off. 
Oh, don't tell me the Houthis are a greater threat to American civilization than Al-Qaeda and now the Islamic State in Yemen. It's crazy. So you can see why they would have that same attitude, uh, the same attitude that we've had, you know, all these years. What do you mean we're on the side of the jihadists in Syria? This is crazy. Especially when a lot of these guys are veterans of Iraq War II, where they fought against al-Qaeda in Iraq, which is exactly what the al-Nusra Front is, the Syrian veterans of al-Qaeda in Iraq. It's exactly what the Islamic State is, the Iraqi veterans of al-Qaeda in Iraq. And they're going, man, not just am I giving these guys guns and money and bribing them to not fight me, even though I know damn well who they are from a couple of weeks ago, like in the so-called awakening. But now you really want me to go to war for them, huh? And remember now, everybody, what if uh, Ray McGovern was here? What would Ray McGovern tell us? He would say, remember now, everybody, who was it that really stopped the war against Bashar al-Assad in 2013? In August and September of 2013, it was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff who came out and when asked, why do we have to do this now, told the media, I don't know why we have to do this now. I don't see any real emergency here. And it was then that Obama went and took his famous Rose Garden walk with his chief of staff. And they decided, this is crazy, dude. Let's just forget it. And thank you also. A huge shout out goes to the British House of Commons that told David Cameron that he can go and F a pig, as is his want. That the answer was no. And, uh, anyway, I mean, I doubt that Dempsey would have, uh, that was the chairman of the chiefs at the time. I doubt he would have resigned over it. He would have been a good little boy scout, just like Robert Gates and them were. And he was about Libya in 2011. But that's how crazy this is. And I know I sound like I must be some kind of right winger for people who aren't used to listening to this show. What is this cranky conspiracy talk about Obama backing the bad guys in Syria and this and that? I don't know what to tell you, man. It's in the London Review of Books. It's in Harper's Magazine this month as well. Uh, there's been no secret about it. It's been in the New York Times and the Washington Post since 2012. American money, American guns are going to Al-Qaeda. Hell, Phil Giraldi, the former CIA officer, he broke the story... Um, in December, would have been December 8th or 9th of 2011, still the first year of the Arab Spring, December 2011, and the beginning of it, so it had happened in November or earlier, and Giraldi reported that Obama had signed a new finding ordering the CIA to step up covert action against Syria and Iran. He also explained very shortly after that to Jeffrey Goldberg, uh, in the Atlantic that, uh, you know, 
He doesn't play around, and if the Iranians ever try to make nukes, he absolutely will start a war with them before he allows that to be successful. Don't worry about that. And then when they're, that's the, the title of the interview is, as president of the United States, I don't bluff. It's him reassuring the Israelis that he really, really, really means that he won't let the Iranians get nukes, which is not a sigh of relief since they weren't making nukes anyway, you stupid liars. But anyway, in that same interview, he says, that's right, Jeffrey Goldberg. This would be a great way to weaken Iran would be as if we could get rid of Assad in Syria. So, all this is plain as day. And it's not because Obama's a secret Muslim or some kind of secret, you know, Afro-sporting Black Panther leftist or some kind of crap like that. It's because he's Ronald Reagan. That's why. It's because he is a center-right corporatist American imperialist, just like all the rest of them. Well, most of the rest of them. Well, yeah, all the rest of them. I don't mean to imply there were good politicians up there. I was thinking back on what I was just saying about apparently some of the generals have been a little bit insubordinate on the issue, but not a lot. Anyway, that's another thing I actually didn't... Isn't that something that Mark Perry was speculating, that maybe... In Syria, the reason they only cranked out uh, 50 so-called moderate fighters is because the generals just didn't want to do it. Maybe that was Brad Hoff that was saying, you know, these generals, they're like, oh, yeah, sure, we'll train up some moderates for you. But then they're not even trying. They don't believe in the mission. They refuse to carry it out. So, I don't know. But anyway, same old thing. All right, a um, couple of minutes before the next break, when we get back, we got to talk about the cops. There are so many horrifying cop stories that we got to go over here. It's really something else. But before that, I want to just uh, mention this about the Israeli occupation. Ex-IDF general takes out ad to support breaking the silence. Amiram Levin backs the NGO that publishes alleged abuses by soldiers, says the army should encourage such groups to speak out. A retired IDF major general on Friday took out an advertisement in the liberal Israeli daily Haaretz in support of Breaking the Silence, a controversial organization that collects testimony from Israeli veterans of alleged human rights abuses within the army. Under the headline, I am also breaking my silence, Emiriam Levin used the half-page ad to both express his backing for the group and to malign those who seek to outlaw it. Quote, Breaking the silence guards IDF soldiers in the impossible place in which politicians have abandoned them, wrote Levin in his statement, adding that, quote, the instructions to silence breaking the silence harm and weaken the IDF. The retired soldiers' posts include head of the IDF Northern Command, commander of the elite Sayeret Matkal unit, and deputy director of Mossad added, deputy director of Mossad, the IDF must encourage breaking the silence and those like them to speak out without fear in the IDF and in Israeli society. Good for him. 
and good for all of them. Right back. You hate government, one of them libertarian types, or maybe you just can't stand the president, gun grabbers, or warmongers. Me too. That's why I invented LibertyStickers.com. Well, Rick owns it now, and I didn't make up all of them, but still, if you're driving around and want to tell everyone else how wrong their politics are, there's only one place to go. LibertyStickers.com has got your bumper covered. Left, right, libertarian, empire, police, state, founders, quote, central banking. Yes, bumper stickers about central banking. Lots of them. And, well, everything that matters. LibertyStickers.com. Everyone else's stickers suck. Hey, all Scott Horton here for WallStreetWindow.com. Mike Swanson knows his stuff. He made a killing running his own hedge fund and always gets out of the stock market before the government-generated bubbles pop, which is, by the way, what he's doing right now, selling all his stocks and betting on gold and commodities. Sign up at WallStreetWindow.com and get real-time updates from Mike on all his market moves. It's hard to know how to protect your savings and earn a good return in an economy like this. Mike Swanson can help. Follow along on paper and see for yourself. WallStreetWindow.com. All right, y'all, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. Hey, the website's back fixed again if you want to go join up the chat room for the last 10 minutes of the show. <laughs> Did you guys like Star Wars? Chat room guys, I'm asking. Star Wars 7, I mean. All right. Uh, remember this guy, John Carroll, came on the show. He said he got all these documents from an internal investigation, internal affairs investigation of these cops who uh, had been entrapping black men for years in this town in Alabama. Well, uh, he got a little bit of pushback from that, including from Radley Balco at the Washington Post, who I really like for a lot of other reasons. And I admit, I didn't go digging through all the documents and see which all ones backed up. The guy's various claims, whatever. But on the, um, and a couple of people have asked me about this on Twitter. If you go and look at the Balco piece about it, and then you read the comment section, or I don't know how extensive it is now, but when I read it, there were about maybe two or three dozen comments there, including quite a few by John Carroll explaining himself and saying, yeah, but what about this and what about that? And I thought he made a pretty good case. And then he has this follow up. Former prosecutor Lane contradicts police chief and district attorney, confirms complaints of planting drugs and fire ant torture by Dothan police. And this article is at henrycountyreport.com. Former city prosecutor for Dothan, Kalia Lane, has stepped forward and contradicted Steve Parrish's public statements made in a de- made in a December 4th news conference. Lane, who worked previously as a city prosecutor and as the Macon County assistant district attorney, has acknowledged there were many cases she knew of, as many as 50, where allegations of planted narcotics by police were present. Quote, the police in Dothan are just allowed to do whatever they want to do. She meant to say the United States of America, from San Diego to Bangor, Maine. If you file a complaint against the Dothan Police Department, they will harass you to no end. Lane describes as prosecutor... She initially took steps to ride with officers in an attempt to see with her own eyes how they behaved and why the community feared them. She says, quote, I'll never forget one of the first stops that was made. A young black man was accosted. 
when she sharply questioned the officer, what was the probable cause? He shouted, we'll figure that out later. That's just how the system works down here. They can't complain because they'll come back. They, the victims, can't complain because the cops will come back and confront them. When asked about previous cases where officers used fire ant beds as a way to torture the men, she stated she had an existing case where a young man was illegally searched for hours and reported to have been forced into a fire ant bed. The former prosecutor confirms what a former member of District Attorney Doug Velasquez's office privately told us. That's the Henry County report. That the FBI was notified of the complaints of victims having drugs being planted on them and was even given the names of those victims in the arresting officers. No victims we were able to find ever had the FBI contact them concerning their written allegations. Now we have a FOIA with the FBI to obtain copies of any complaints received. See, man, this is a major problem that... um well, it's always been a problem, and it's going to continue to be a problem, is when local government authorities abuse people, the solution always is to go to D.C. To go, I'm going to go to Capital City, and I'm going to tell on you. And if that doesn't work, then I'm going to go to Washington, D.C. And especially in the case of racial minorities, the truth is, historically, the white majority in the South, they're perfectly happy to have blacks treated like they have no human rights whatsoever. No natural-born, innate rights or dignity whatsoever. So uh, it's always up to the national government to come and rescue them. Because the local population won't. They just won't. But then the FBI, oops, stop and forgot for a moment that they are the worst people in the world. It was the FBI that destroyed all the black civil rights movements. And blacks all know that. <laughs> and yet, what else, what are they supposed to do? Except go ask the Department of Justice to please have a civil rights investigation. Because who else is going to take care of it? Nobody's going to take care of it. And this is a problem with having a population that doesn't believe in libertarianism. A population that doesn't believe that Jefferson was right when he claimed that great denier of human liberty. When he claimed that it was self-evident truth that every single human being has the same damn divine right as the king does, and so screw him. We own ourselves. We have a right to live and be free. And if people don't really believe that, then guess what? You're going to be treated like you're not free. Uh, you know, the exception should be, right, when you if you commit a crime against somebody, you hurt somebody. Violate, you know, commit an act of aggression. Steal something, something. You know, this other story this morning from uh, PINAC, which is photography is not a crime. Make sure to arm all your ad blockers before you stop by there. Holy crap. But anyway, uh, the story here, they have this the thing where the 
uh, L.A. sheriffs, I warn you, you know, he is murdered in the video, so you don't have to watch it. But you can. It's at photographyisnotacrime.com. And these cops, one cop, it's almost unbelievable. First of all, the guy, the reason they were pulling him over is because he was riding a bicycle with his earbuds in. Right? He hadn't committed a crime. He didn't steal a bicycle at gunpoint. He didn't rob a store. He didn't commit a crime. He violated an ordinance. Maybe. He committed an offense against the dictates of the totalitarian state he lives under. And then when they pulled him over and tackled him, one of the cops shot the other cop in the stomach. And then, in order to cover for it, he decides to try to pretend that the guy who they're both on top of, who's completely immobile and helpless... Shot his partner. So he shoots him. And then his partner goes, yeah, and shoots him two or three more times in the back. And murders him. Then the one cop says to the other, okay, get up. But then he stays on the guy with his full force, knee in the back, trying to suffocate him. The guy says, I'm dying. They're trying to make sure he bleeds out. Make sure that he chokes. Watch it. It's right now at photographyisnotacrime.com. As these two cops just straight up first degree capital premeditated murder a helpless man. Oh, and they get away with it. They go, oh, he was a wetback. Oh, he was a gang member. Oh, he tried to take my gun. He's not as white as the people on the grand jury. And they are whiter than all of us because they're cops. They are the uber mention. And we're all just a bunch of N-words now. And so they murdered him because they felt like it. Go watch the video. I've seen a hundred of these, and I'm still just, Jesus Christ, man. I can't believe it. What they do and what they get away with. And the witnesses are lucky that they didn't just go and murder every last witness and take their phone and destroy it. What's stopping them? Also, the guy that was paralyzed when the cops shot him in the neck for climbing out of his wrecked car has died. The cop's already been cleared. He has a license to murder whoever he wants. And there's a million of them. I mean, I dare you to go spend a day at photographyisnotacrime.com. There's a million of them. Well, a thousand this year. A thousand. 